We are live! Hey everybody, welcome to this week's live. We are covering interest groups, how they work, why they work for some individuals and how they succeed, and also why you should never really be using them anymore, where they come from, why they, what gets interest. Well, how, basically we're gonna cover the functionality, the execution, the strategy, and why using them is actually a liability where you're sacrificing long-term performance for short-term wins. And we're going to cover this in several different ways. I'm excited. It's nice to see you guys. I hope you're doing well. So remember, the format here is we're going to cover a lesson. Then we give you some homework. And if you do that homework, you get 50% off FacebookDestructor.com or any of the eBooks for free. So it's quite valuable for you in that homework. Honestly, it's usually not more than 30 seconds and I tell you how to do it anyway. So it's really just my way of really trying to make a lot of this stuff accessible for you. Um, whether or not you want to join the Patreon where you can get all of the eBooks plus articles, plus a searchable archive of over a hundred videos. And you can also get into the Slack group. Anyway, I'm done pitching. You're not here to see all that stuff, especially if you're on the live. You just want to get to this thing, even if it's now October of 2015. 2025, 2015 would be amazing. Uh, my point is, anyway, we're getting into how interest groups work, why they succeed for some folks, and why you should never use them again. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm here to help you begin to win at Facebook. Let's go. All right. So interest groups. Let me give you a little bit of a background on where interest groups come from. I think this is fundamental to people understanding why they're useful and why, why people use them and, and, and the history behind things. So Let's start off getting to know things a little bit. First off, interest groups come from Facebook initially being more of a CPC platform before optimized CPM existed. Now, the reason this worked is because Facebook was building on the back of what at the time was the absolute superior ad product, which was Google. Now, Google ran with affinity audiences. It ran with also these other, you know, act alike and, and all this behavioral stuff and Really, Facebook was saying, this is the landscape as it exists. We have more information than other platforms do. So let's provide this opportunity for targeting. Now, this was really useful because it allowed contextual targeting in a way that other platforms weren't really able to do because Facebook was able to see people's conversations and their messages and where they were engaging and how they were being tracked and their behavior all across the internet in a way that well, honestly, no other platform really had the functionality or ability or infrastructure to really take advantage of. So they were groundbreaking in this effort. Also, back in the day, back when I started in Facebook ads in 2013 and 2014, when we were spending like a million dollars a day doing this stuff, it was also on the back of third-party data. So you were getting stuff from Data Logics and a lot of these other companies that were giving you all of this other information, you had to pay a premium on your CPM. And it was quite literally like, add this add this uh, interest group or add this third-party data and it was gonna add 75 cents or a dollar to your CPMs. And this is back when you could spend a million a day and the CPMs were like $5, um, you know, way, way, way back in the day. I mean, we're talking before the Facebook pixel existed. We're talking before conversion campaigns were a, a concept that was a thing that you could do. So this really comes from how Facebook could enter the marketplace with an unfair advantage taking on top of the behavior that people were used to uh, using, right? Let's use contextual data. Let's target with these things. Let's provide what other people are doing in a way that other people can't compete with us. That's where it started. Now, 
From there, Facebook really leaned into their product of the optimized CPM. We start to really see this coming in in 2016 and 2017, primarily with the implementation of the Facebook Pixel and with optimized CPM where you had conversion campaigns. So once those things came in, Facebook was able to follow people and not just say you were talking about something, you were visiting websites about something, or that you were having this communication in groups around something, but they could start to really effectively predict your behavior. So as this optimized CPM came into play, we started to see more and more case studies, and I was a part of a lot of them, and the one I like to cite the most, it was the biggest groundbreaker was one from Bombas. And that came out, I think it was published in 2018, but I mean, since 2017, I've been preaching this like broad, this, this audience because of the way that Facebook works. So let me get into this last piece before we talk about how interest groups function. So what ended up happening was because Facebook could predict your behavior or at least bid on their prediction of that behavior. And because they were getting trillions of data points and really getting strong at this, their unfair advantage of the marketplace became around this predicting consumer behavior based on their efforts, based on multiple devices, on multiple platforms with multiple ad placements across an entire journey. Facebook was doing the entire sales funnel. They were doing prospecting and remarketing inside of one ad, which again is why you don't need retargeting inside of Facebook because Facebook prospecting is already doing that retargeting across Facebook, across Instagram, across Messenger, across Marketplace, across every other website. They're understanding your journey and then following you all around. That's where Audience Network comes into play. That's where their other uh, ad products really help out in a way that I don't think most people understand. So that is one of the things that's where interest groups come from and where facebook moved beyond it once they moved into the optimized cpm so if you're following along for the home game interest groups effectively got became obsolete or were were um you know, they, Facebook moved away from considering interest groups the way that you should be advertising around 2017. Now, how does an interest group get built and why does it work for some people? So an interest group is built around how many people are talking about something, how many people are conversing around the topic of conversation, what websites you're going to, what words that you're using inside of your messenger, inside of groups and inside of your posts. What it does not do, and I think is a massive misconception, is Facebook interest groups do not track sentiment. If you hate something and you talk about it a lot, you're in that interest group. So understand that most people online talk about things, whether they like it or not. Most people don't talk, don't only talk about things on the internet that they feel positive about. So when you're targeting people inside of an interest group, understand that a large segment of that, some interest groups might be 20%, some people, some interest groups might be 50, 60%. That interest group does not mean that you're actually positively engaged with that topic of conversation, which means you're paying money to specifically reach people who the only reason you even know they care about that topic is because they're so actively speaking against it. And you see this a lot, especially during election times, because politics hit people all over the place. If you heavily talk about something that you oppose, you will see ads for people that support that thing because you're talking about it and because the person running that ad is focusing on that interest group. So when you're using interest groups, you're paying a premium, going back to how these are built, you're paying a premium to access inventory 
And on the other side of that, that inventory is built with a fundamental large portion of that. Maybe it's a majority, maybe it's a minority, but there are a lot of people. I mean, if it's an interest group of 500,000, there might be at least 100,000, 200, 300,000 of that 500 grand that actually think very negatively about the thing that you're promoting. So you are paying a premium to reach people that don't like what you're doing, which can extremely and negatively impact your estimated action rate and the quality score of your ad. So basically you're paying extra to reach a smaller audience that feels really bad about what you're doing, which ultimately will jack up your CPMs because Facebook wants people to stay on the platform. And if you are targeting people that feel negatively about whatever it is that you're promoting, you're going to have to pay extra because you're a liability to their experience. So understand that. Say the interest group is 500,000 and 150,000 feel really bad about what you're doing and, and 200,000 don't really want to buy. Now that 500,000 person audience is down to roughly one third that actually feels positively, but you're paying to reach everyone, including those that have no interest in buying from you or signing up for the lead generating else, plus a whole bunch of people that think that what you're doing is fundamentally bad. So they're leaving negative reviews. They're Xing out. They're the people that you're having to fight with. So my point here is, why you should not use interest groups. The third part of this, this explanation, you shouldn't use them because they're fundamentally built around old technology that Facebook as a platform, Facebook's unfair advantage in the marketplace is making that type of strategy obsolete. And you pay a premium to restrict your audience down to people who may or may not even like you. And for that, you're incredible you're making this extreme negative impact on the ability for your ads to reach people that feel positively about you and you're heavily focusing at least 10 20 50 percent of your ads on people that are a liability to your success because they're going to leave negative reviews they're going to x out they're going to raise your cpm because your estimated action rate is going to tank so I really want to bring that home for you. Now, the reason that interest groups do work for people is because there is something to be said about like if you have a niche product or say you're selling like when I was running, I don't know, when I was running New Balance, we would target people that were interested in, in jogging or running, right? When I was working, you know, with a, when I brought TRX to market, right, we were talking about folks we are really trying to hit workouts and exercise, right? When I was managing, you know, the MGM hotel experience, we were trying to target people that were interested in travel and people interested in Las Vegas, right? When, when, when I was running progressive insurance, right? We were trying to target people that had bought cars and, and, and things along those lines, right? When, you know, every brand that I can think of, there was something there, right? When it was Levi's, we were trying to target people that are interested in jeans and in denim. When, you know, I mean, I could run it off a list as long as the, the, you know, when I was running Disney Movie Club, we were talking about trying to target people that were moms, right? People that were dads, people with children. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, that was successful because we were basically not building ads. We were not testing our ads to a broad audience. So we were functionally trying to run ads specifically designed to only work in this minute section. And we were chasing our tail constantly, basically trying to get a win every week, every two weeks. And this is where the idea of like ad fatigue comes from. Because yeah, that ad 
has reached the 10,000 people that are actually going to be positively interested in it because you're only targeting maybe half a million people and half of those people aren't interested in buying it. Half the people that are left feel that what you're doing is awful. So you've segmented down to just that very small portion of the audience that may or may not be positive to you. That's why ad fatigue occurs because you've already burned through that audience. And that is one reason why interest groups are a severe liability. So understand that when you're chasing things down, there is some success to be had here. There is a possibility of getting some wins, but that comes at the expense of long-term stability, right? If you've noticed, when you're building audiences built around interest groups and around behaviors, and there's a couple exceptions to this rule, but when you're building audiences around that, how many times do you have to struggle with instability? Let me raise, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just saying at home, you know, like, Understand that I see you when you're dealing with instability, when you're dealing with ads that work for like a week and then you try to spend against them and then they tank. Understand that I that I get it, that you're having to chase down new things and you've got 10 and 20, 30 audiences that you're trying to make win. Understand that I get why that's happening. And the reason that you're having that struggle is because you're testing ads. First off, you're testing ads where you're making a guess on the, the copy, the headline, the creative, and then you're focusing that ad to an extraordinarily small niche part of your audience that you're going to burn through really quick. Now, say your CPMs are coming in at 20 bucks. By the time you spend 2000 you've burned through probably 80% of the people that are going to be interested, and they've made a decision, and especially if you have a retargeting in place where as soon as somebody clicks or views your video or sees, goes to your website, they're out of that interest group entirely. So not only are you hyper-focusing on this interest group, but you're excluding everybody from that interest group that has ever seen or taken some intent. So that interest group is already significantly impaired in how much success and scale that you can bring from it. The other side about an interest group of why it's a big problem is because they're not static because they're updating on a regular basis. It might be once every couple of days, it might be once every couple of weeks, it's completely dependent on volume around data, but understand that interest group is not a set pool of people, right? It, it, you can be in an interest group one day and the next day not in that interest group and the next week come back. So my point here is that you're not even able to truly measure a customer journey or have Facebook optimized towards the best possible result. So you're impairing the machine learning from doing the thing that you're asking Facebook to do built around Facebook's number one core unfair advantage in the marketplace. So that is another reason why interest groups are a big liability to your success. And the last thing that I want to get to is what does this all mean? Why does this work and why should you never use it? I hope I've figured I hope I've solved a lot of that. But there's one other piece we haven't talked about, and it's your creative testing. And I think one of the biggest struggles people have is like, okay, well, I'm going to go broad. And they run the ads that have worked inside their interest groups and it doesn't work on broad. Understand, I see you. I've understood that. I've had this problem since 2017. And I've done a bunch of case studies on why that happens, how you should solve for it. And, and I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions in revenue and, and, and millions of dollars of Facebook's money to try, to try to solve for these problems. And I want to explain to you exactly what's going on. It's very simple as to why your ad that works in an interest group doesn't work at broad and why you're struggling there. It's because that ad is a success built on the back of a very minute section of the audience. It's not a scalable solution. And you've trained the algorithm to focus on only very singular myopic success, not 
something that's scalable. So let me present this as another way. If you have an ad that wins in an interest group, it's winning because you're only showing it to that small audience. You've been solving your problems in your creative testing. Your strategy to try to succeed is built around how do I take advantage of extraordinarily small pockets? How do I take educated guesses and effectively build my business on getting lucky and gambling every couple of days, every couple of weeks? How do I constantly feed this flywheel where I'm chasing my tail and I'm solving the same problem today that I was two years ago? That's the kind of strategy that you've ultimately built. And the reason those interest group ads don't work abroad is because they're not designed to. And the number one piece of advice I can give you to get out of this, because none of this is helpful without an action plan. And I want to give you an action item so that you can really succeed is start your creative testing at broad. Once you can crack that nut, then all of these interest groups become obsolete for you because you're now starting to understand how do I succeed? Not by hyper-focusing on just the super small niche that's going to run out. How do I plan for future long-term success? If you can start to run your creative testing at broad, don't even have exclusions, right? Let them see the whole funnel. Build your ad account around how do I have the fewest amount of moving parts and let Facebook do the work. It will be a struggle. It will functionally challenge everything that is easy. Everything that you have done that feels safe and native that you've been taught to do, honestly, by a lot of people that don't know better. I mean, and a lot of people that have chased that short win because they see if I work harder and harder and harder and I make things more and more complex, I can manage 20 spinning plates and I can get to some level of success. But you're never going to break through that plateau if you only solve your problem with hard work and complexity because there's only so hard you can work. Let me put it this way. If you are trying to build a billion dollar business off of door to door salesmen, how many people do you think you're really going to have to manage? How much success do you think you're going to get with brute force, hand to hand combat and ignoring the simple machine built to you to succeed? Another example of this is if you try to maximize your ability to run from one side of the country to the other and you become the world's best runner. You are struggling, you are pushing yourself to the nth degree to be the absolute best athlete. That's 100% commendable. You're putting in the hard work. But if I have a bicycle, if I have a simple machine, I'm going to beat you every single time. My point here is Facebook is the simple machine that you can leverage to fundamentally change your success because if you use that simple machine, now mind you, if you try to use a bicycle in the way that you would run, it's not going to work the same, right? It's a different, you need different shoes, you need different muscles, you need different strength and conditioning, you need everything to be different. So my point here is, if you're right now relying on more than three or four audiences and cross your entire funnel to succeed, and you're constantly seeing ads stop working after a week, and you are struggling with scale and you cannot get your efficiency together, and you're struggling with spending more money, and you're struggling with more and more work and instability, and Facebook feels like this thing that just doesn't work for you, understand that it's probably because you're not using it right. And that's no fault of your own. You're doing probably what makes sense. You're doing what you've been taught. What I'm trying to tell you is 
the reason that people give that advice over the last few years is because it's really easy to win today and sacrifice success long-term. Empires aren't built on easy, simple work. They're built on big planning. If you're winning all the little battles in front of you, you're going to lose the war because you're not thinking the forest for the trees and all of that fun stuff. So my point here, and I'll make this my closing statement, is if you want to really start to have Facebook win for you, stop focusing on trying to take advantage of these targeting audiences and start thinking of the way that Facebook works. Your ad is a landing page. It has a click-through rate. It has a bounce rate. It has a stickiness. It's quite literally a landing page. Every ad has a URL. It's a website. It's a web page. Start designing your ads to do the targeting for you. This is how the elite brands work. That is how you have one ad set, 18 plus, crush all the other work. Because now instead of having a bunch of interest groups, you're using creative testing to solve very specific problems. What audience do I need to target today? What audience do I need to target this month? What does the next 90 days look like? Let me start to do creative testing at Broad to try to solve that particular problem. Now, the last two points that I want to get to just for real quick things, and then we'll get into the homework, and then we'll get to your questions, is number one, one of the reasons that interest groups also don't work, especially when you have a bunch of ad sets. And I was talking to somebody yesterday on Instagram that's like a Facebook expert, and they're absolutely crushing, but it's built on the back of hard work and complexity. And they're going to extremely struggle, especially once this iOS 14. And when iOS 15 and 16 and 17 comes up, the next few years are going to be very, very hard for people that rely on hard work and complexity for another simple reason. Think of every audience as a circle. And if you have multiple audiences, basically it's just giant Venn diagram. Now, if that Venn diagram, the overlap basically looks like one giant fucking circle. Understand that when you shift budget from one place to another, or you're trying to have these other things work against each other, what you're doing is you are bidding against yourself. And the success and failure you see from one audience isn't necessarily because that audience works, isn't necessarily because that ad worked. It's because in the shit luck of the auction, one ad got the sale versus another. And you cannot actually quantitatively measure why one thing worked or another one. You're reacting to luck in the auction. That's not a way that you can fundamentally build a business. Most really big businesses are not built on the back of getting lucky and hard work and complexity. They're built on the back of simplifying things, having high integrity in your data, making well-educated, simple decisions that move mountains. That's how you succeed in business. And, and, and that's how I've taken many seven-figure businesses and made them eight-figures businesses, right? That's why people bring me in when they're spending a million dollars or more a year and they're just completely slamming their head against a brick wall because they're solving the problem in the wrong way, misusing tools. I, I, and so that's one fundamental piece. The other piece that I really want to get to really quickly is also in this concept of there are a few things where this can work. And, and I do want to stress that when you're working in broad, you can have overlap. You can have all of that stuff. If it sees the entire funnel, if your target audience is 200 million people, a lack of targeting doesn't mean that you have a lack of targeting. What it means is you're letting every ad 
find every impression that Facebook thinks is best for the user's experience. So a target audience, an interest group, is basically like saying, if you have a whole entire sandbox that the ad wants to see, you're only letting it play in one small corner. So you're restricting the majority of people that are probably going to positively respond to that ad. And you're doing so, you're basically limiting your possibility for success and scale and stability. And in order to limit your potential, you're going out of your way to pay extra. So just understand functionally, if you take one thing away from this, that an interest group is built on old tech. I mean, we're talking decades old technology. And in the internet, that is fucking ancient, right? We're talking 2005, 2010 technology and thinking and strategy for platforms that are not built around a customer journey and an optimized CPM. We're talking that works in demand and inventory-based platforms like search and display and programmatic. It has fuck all to do with Facebook. You are paying extra to limit your success by trying to leverage a tool that is not designed to have you win. I just want you to understand that. To make one more analogy and then I'm done, you're basically trying to build an entire house with a screwdriver when sometimes you need a wrench, sometimes you need a power drill, sometimes you need a hammer. The fucking screwdriver will get you there, but understand it's going to be a really fucking hard time. And how much time and money an opportunity are you willing to invest to make things harder for yourself in a way that functionally and fundamentally limits your opportunity for happiness? How much stress do you want to put on yourself every day with the intended goal of making your life less enjoyable? That is basically how much of your budget are you putting into interest groups? That's my point. Your homework for today, and then we'll get to the questions. I see some questions coming in from YouTube, some from Facebook, and there's a raised hand inside the clubhouse. We feel free to raise your hand, ping some people in. Your homework today, you can DM me on any platform. And remember, your homework gets you 50% off FacebookDisruptor.com, any of the ebooks, or 50% off the Patreon or the Slack group. Your homework for today is very simple. Tell me. How many interest groups are you currently running? What is your percentage of spend on a daily basis that goes to something that is fundamentally inhibiting your opportunity for happiness and success? That's it. I just need to know 35%, 20%. I don't even know your ad account. You don't have to show me your ads manager. You can quite literally fucking DM me a percentage and then tell me if you want 50% off the Patreon, 50% off the Slack or any of the eBooks for free. That's it. Just let me know. All right. My, my goal here with every homework is to make your life easier and to teach you how to fish. I want you to succeed. I don't want to show you how I'm winning in one spot that's out of context that is not helpful for you. I want you to understand how to think and to problem solve so that you can see long term success for a long time. And I'll leave it with this point and then we'll take questions. This is how Facebook is working. Regardless of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis, fundamentally speaking, this isn't a, this is not like the next hack. This is how Facebook has worked since 2017. 
This is Facebook's unfair advantage in the marketplace. And this is basically more than likely how Facebook is going to work for the next 10 years or more. Where Google is built around cost per click, Facebook is built around customer journey. If you want to maximize your ability to take advantage of customer journey, you have to maximize your ability to take advantage of how Facebook works. So the idea that this is going to be obsolete in a year or two is like saying that Google is going to stop charging by the click. That is its core competency. That is fundamentally the absolute core of how that platform works. So with that being said, I hope that that helps. I'm going to finally inhale for a second, take a swig of this juice and raise your hand on Clubhouse. I got questions coming in here on YouTube. Brett, you're first and then Jared, you're second. And then I got another thing from Martin. So we're going to get to it. I just need to like one second wet my whistle because I think I've talked for 30 minutes straight. Oh, that is good juice. There's this like six-year-old kid in my neighborhood that is using his parents' juicer to start a business. And I 100% give him $60 a week for like 12 juices and some wellness shots because he's underpricing himself. And I want to support a little entrepreneur, right? Give the money back. Okay, anyway. Brett asks a question. Once the pixel is seasoned, you don't need any interest, correct? Brett, great question. Um, let me answer this in two parts. First off, seasoning the pixel is 100% bullshit. Um, that is an explanation that has come from people that misunderstood the way that Facebook works and a way to explain something they misunderstood. And so I say it's bullshit because this pixel isn't what fixes things for you. What makes things work is having an ad with a high estimated action rate and making sure that your budget and your estimated action rate brings you a bid that is desirable. You can win on day one, 100%. You don't need to like train the pixel and all this other stuff. There is something to be said about the algorithm understanding your net mean across a large scatter plot of data points. And that's 100% a thing, but that's not about targeting. That's about Facebook understand. That's about you training the algorithm to understand what your business objectives are and prioritizing efficiency to make a singular goal. And that's 100% how you should be managing your account. But the idea of seasoning the pixel is 100% bullshit. And I do have a video on that inside the YouTube and you can check that out. But what you need more than anything is to train yourself and getting good at making ads that work for you. This path to success in any advertising is prioritizing giving a fuck about your customer. That's how you're gonna win. So the other part of this is, you don't need any interest, correct? Yeah, you don't need any interest. If it was day one for your ad account, I would throw a dynamic creative against broad and focus on every week getting more efficient than the last, right? Remember, scaling your ad account is not about scaling spend. Bragging about scaling spend is some immature Chad bro culture bullshit. The way you scale is scaling results. Let me ask you this. Would you be, say you get 10 sales for $100 and you got your cost spread at 10 bucks. Would you be happier spending 150 getting your sales for $10, getting 15 sales, or 
would you be happier spending that same hundred bucks and getting 15? Which one is better for your business? I'll leave it at that. Efficiency is the true elite way of success. Raising your spend, <laughs> honestly, has nothing to do with scaling your account. Most people that see when they raise their spend, hey, my costs went up. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah, because that's not how you scale. Scaling comes from efficiency, not spend. Spend is an output of efficiency, not anything else. So you have to look at this with your goal in mind. Just trying to put that out there. Okay, next question is coming from Clubhouse. This is Jared. I'm going to bring you up onto the stage, my man. Good to see you again. Uh, let's see here. Jared is now a speaker. Awesome. Uh, please introduce yourself and ask me a question. Let me know how I can help. And then I see you guys on YouTube. We'll get to you in a minute. And if you're also on Clubhouse, please raise your hand and I'll bring you to the stage. Hey, Charlie. Thank you for always giving amazing info. So you're the man. Oh, thank um, you. Facebook opened up new um, advertising areas inside of uh, uh, the Reels and um all those little new video places they have. What, what do you see the effect on that? And where do you see now they're also opening up um, the kind of the YouTube functionalities of like pre-rolls and so on and so forth they're talking about. So I'm yeah. just wondering your thoughts on all of these and how to use them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two points to them. Number one, this is phenomenal for efficiency. All of this new ad inventory means that the cost of inventory goes down. It's market forces. CPMs will go down as a result of more opportunity, right? It's, it's supply and demand. They're now increasing the supply by opening up new areas um, to show ads. This is Facebook's leveraged effort to increase the possibility of places to show advertising. And we've seen this. I remember when this happened in 2015, you know, with the, with the you know, I, I mean, I remember this happening in 2013 with Right Hand Rail. I remember this happening in 2015 with, with uh, when we started to do the lead gen stuff and we were focusing on a whole new ad unit and the places that you could show that to people. I remember when this happened with the introduction of the audience network. I remember when this happened with messenger ads. I remember when this happened with marketplace ads. Basically, this is Facebook's way of saying, we're going to charge you more, but we're going to give you more opportunity. So the base CPM for any audience might go up as there's more and more advertisers and just the market rate of inventory in general. But they mitigate against that by providing more places to show ads. Basically, Facebook's user growth, as it stalls out. They mitigate against the rising cost of the inventory by providing more places to show ads. So how do we take advantage of it? Simple rule, what we've been doing since 2015, auto placement, auto bid. Don't restrict where your ads are shown. Don't tell Facebook how much to bid. Run your ads at the top of the funnel. Focus on efficiency. That is how you solve your problem. You can have one, I mean, this is hyperbolic, but I, I could tell you I'm, I, I'm working with folks that are 100% doing this at far more scale than I'm going to give an example for. You can easily spend a million dollars a year. That's $2,740 a day with effectively one campaign built around a couple audio, a couple ad sets, all targeting broad. And every ad set's basically just a targeting audience because it has different types of ads. 
And as you see your CPMs rise because of market rate, Facebook will mitigate against that with, with these additional advertising opportunities. Um, and I see a lot of people making the mistake of saying, well, Instagram is really working for me or stories is really working for me or, or, or any of this stuff. When you look at your data set, and you say, well, this one ad is great. How do I force more spend to it? Or this one audience is great. How do I force more spend to it? Or this one uh, placement is great. How do I force more spend to it? It's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the algorithms work. And honestly, algebra. It's a misunderstanding of algebra. The reason that that audience or that ad set or that ad or that placement is working for you is because of the amount of work that you're asking it to achieve. So Maybe Instagram stories works for you and you're like, man, I wish I could spend more than 10% of my budget because it's crushing everything. And there's plenty of case studies going back like five, six years around this principle. So like I'm just quoting other people's work and my own. My point is, if you were to try to isolate that piece, you are going to see extremely diminished returns very quickly. Because the reason you're getting success is because you're just allowing Facebook to see, well, this is the place that's going to get somebody over the hump. This is the place that's going to get them to take that final action. Because we've been following them all around the internet, all sorts of placements. That's the final touch. If you optimize for just that final touch, you're basically jacking up your CPMs and your frequency in that placement because you're stopping. The, the idea is, around that is basically trying to isolate your wins. And if you isolate and try to scale your wins, you're going to fail because Facebook does not work like that. Facebook works not at trying to maximize your wins, but by trying to diminish your losses. If you can increase your efficiency and increase your success by removing bad choices, you're going to be far more stable than trying to isolate the absolute best things. And we know this because of dozens and dozens of brands that spends that spent hundreds of millions of dollars all seeing this at large scale and everybody complaining about it at small scale. So, Jared, I love the question. And, and my personal opinion is I couldn't be happier about it because it's going to provide more and more opportunity. Um, and that basically means that if you're targeting broad you're going to see two things. One, there might be ads that didn't work before and they might have an opportunity now because they work in a different placement. Um, and then the other side of it means that just as we see all of this fear around iOS 14 and around data and around CPMs and how they climb every year, this is, a, this is Facebook saying, hey, look, we got you. Here's another place for you to succeed. And the only place where this will really become a liability is when Facebook starts to throw so many ads in so many places that the use cases for those places drops. And the honest truth is Facebook is still the number one ad unit in the world at providing scale to brands. So intent at scale for brands. So even though we're about to see the organic reach of reels go to shit, there's still an opportunity here for brands to succeed. And you're going to see some brands isolate these places and then brag about very short-term wins. And while they're bragging about, hey, we're making Instagram real ads and they're crushing for us. And then you say, great, uh, how, many, how much time and effort are you putting into making creative? How much scale are you getting? What's your stability on it? And how much of your book actually comes from that in long-term planning? What is your contribution to value and margin? How much can you scale? They're going to not respond. 
One, because they probably don't understand it. And two, if they did understand that math, they wouldn't be bragging about doing something that's functionally a liability to their overall success. You're going to see creative agencies 100% take advantage of this stuff because it's going to be really fun things. Um, so that that's my ultimate opinion, an extraordinarily long-winded uh, and then answer. I hope that helps, Jared. This, this, I, I went way off topic, but I, I hope that that was useful. Now, as always, it's amazingly useful. And um, my minor request, you might mind if I get a clubhouse follow? That'd be. Oh, shucks. Okay. Done. <laughs> the there you go. Right. I'm a, I'm a people person, regardless yeah, of what these people say that. on the Internet. <laughs> I hope you enjoy that, uh, that, that, that Hawaiian shirt that I sent you. I hey, man, you it saw it. I shot video with that Hawaiian shirt you sent me the day, like the day after I got it. I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if anybody doesn't know, Charlie puts out, uh, he has a membership, he has Patreon, I am a member, he provides, um, do you think this is value? No clue. The amount of value on that Patreon is beyond what you can know. I mean, it, it's amazing. I wish I could get more from you, but I need more clients and then I'll buy more from you. You're the man, Charlie. Well, thank you very much, Jared. You get more clients, I'll get you more support. Let's just scale this thing up, buddy. I want you to succeed. I want to teach people how to fish. That's how we work together. It's a relationships business. Best of luck to you, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to go to YouTube now. I got a bunch of questions here. And then um, at some point I have the Slack group and we got a live that going into there. We're going to be diving into some ad accounts today and teaching people how to do Scrum Doc and Ecosystem ROAS uh, measurement and also teaching people how to test. And people are starting to really adopt what I'm doing, uh, creative testing at Broad. And they're winning so much that they're now like, how do I take advantage of this? And I like have to tell people like, you're winning. Don't, don't, don't fix something that's not broken. Like it's just going to continue to scale free. Uh, and I'm teaching people this, this, piece and it's very exciting to see like like dozens of people starting to really see success doing this stuff but they've been struggling for years and and like they're still trying to solve the problem in an old way of thinking and so we're going to be diving into all of that so i got to respect that so with that being said hey i see that there's more people that want to come up here and i 100 see you um and don't worry we're going to get to you i'm going to get through everybody here so now we have four questions on youtube and then i will come to you uh Oh, some good friends raised their hand. So stick around, folks. Believe me, I'm going to get to you on, on, on Clubhouse. This is not a YouTube. Martin asks, undoubtedly, some of the... Oh, well, Caleb Noble says legend. Thank you so much, friend. Martin says, undoubtedly, some of the most valuable Facebook ads info out there. Oh, thank you. Question, brother. Can you drop ad creatives into a CBO at any time to test some engagement CBO campaign with open targeting? Uh, Martin, yes, you can absolutely drop ads into any campaign that used to not be the case when I did the case studies in 2018. Um, that was in 2017, 2018. That wasn't the case, although the machine learning is caught up now, so don't worry about it. I actually wrote ebooks back then. One of them was 100% not the source of information that Tim Bird used for the cloud CBO thing that he ended up like making a 20 minute video and charging $700 for by ripping off my old case study. That's completely not what happened. Um, anyway. Uh, it has caught up. You don't need to worry about adding a creative into a CBO. Yes, it might introduce you back into the learning phase, but that's more of a formality than anything else. Understand that it's an amount of change in your overall level of complexity. If you have 10 ads and you add a new one, that's less than a 10% change in the overall algorithm at an, at an extreme level. So I wouldn't really worry about it. Hopefully that helps. Um, second question. Also, the only FB ads I do are for streetwear brands that sell out within one to six hours of their release and then release one 
or two times a month. So I can't use CVR uh, conversion rate objective as website is past protected 24, 28 days of the month. Um, all right. So this is a great point. Martin says, basically, Martin has a brand that you're working with or that maybe you own um, that is built around product drop. Facebook ads aren't working for you on a conversion rate objective because you run out of inventory before you can run anything. Martin, here's what I would do. Reach campaigns uh, and like I would 100% do a lifetime budget, six hours, reach campaign and basically target everybody in your target audience and just blast the shit out of them. It does not matter what you get from people. 100% the most important thing for you is that you are in front of people's face when it's time to go live. So for you, the best way of getting something to happen is by making sure that you're in front of somebody. And I'm 100% certain, or I, I pray that you also have uh, like email campaigns and everything else. So these people are aware of what you're doing, right? So you just need to be top of mind when it's time to go live. So I would definitely do a drip like campaign, I would definitely like tease that something's happening. I would target the people that have engaged with that stuff. I would target the fan, the fans of your page um, and do whatever else you need to do. But I would do a three-way test if I were you on the next one, my man. And if you can, I mean, you can do two of them and then try the next two. But here's what I would do. Reach campaign, manual bid on CPM. So you are 100% forcing. What you want to do is understand which is the cheapest way of reaching your target audience. Manual bid, reach campaign. I would even go maybe daily and try three of them, uh, unique, and try three of them and just see which one thing works. One being brand awareness, two being link click, three being, I guess it's traffic now, three being engagement. And the point is see which one brings you back the lowest CPM. That's the only thing that fucking matters for you. CPM and frequency. So basically you want to be able to say, my, I can project my CPM and in those campaigns, Five bucks, 10, like you can hit a $5 CPM, $10 CPM, easy on that. So figure out as your target audience, divide it by $5 for a thousand impressions, make that your budget, set that to unique or maybe set up two or three uniques um, and then blast it the fuck out. And then you can use economics and an Excel document to understand your cost for your advertising campaign to push that product. And well, that's how I would solve that problem. And you are in one of the fun cases where conversion objective is 100% the wrong fucking thing to do. And I love that you know that. Next question comes from Herman. What would be a good place to get started with Facebook ads? Herman, number one thing I would do, Facebook blueprint. Don't pay a fucking dime to anybody to learn how to run Facebook ads. Facebook blueprint is free, go use it. After that, my suggestion, is a dynamic creative campaign targeting broad because uh, I don't know your business. I don't know your core competencies, but I know that that's the least amount of work. Um, and I always tell people lean into your core competencies, competencies for success. But if I don't know your, uh, your primary skill sets individually, I'm going to teach, I'm going to suggest that you lean into what Facebook does better than anybody else. Um, and I would lean into that. Next thing from Street Sense Promotions, and I do see you on Clubhouse. You guys are coming in right after this question. Street Sense Promotion on YouTube asks, how would you target reach teachers and second target moms for Mother's Day and open targeting with open targeting? 
how much money would I actually need? It's for t-shirts. Um, great question. I would say the way that you would target those individuals is by making the ads uh, appeal to those people. So my point here is you're thinking your product is designed for teachers and for moms. So make ads designed to appeal to teachers and moms. Run open targeting, broad audience. The amount of money you'll need, honestly, I can't tell you. Um, but I would say the optimal budget for any Facebook account comes from two things. One, from your finance department saying, this is how much money you can afford. Um, or or your or the economics of this is how much money we expect to make. This is how much money we can afford to make it happen, like back into the number that you can actually invest into success. Which is why I really highly recommend that brands work on a month to month, quarter to quarter, year over year planning so that you're not responding to day over day bullshit, because honestly, day over day results is completely irrelevant to success. So that's what I would do now. If you have two separate audiences. All right. Execution. Here's what I would do. Broad audience, dynamic, creative. One dynamic creative ad set is everything you can do to try to make it work for teachers. The other one is everything you can do to try to make it work for moms. CBO it, run at whatever you need to do to make it work for you. Uh, whatever thing is coming in cheaper, target that. Um, minimum budget, the other way of looking at it, if you're not going off of your finance department, is what is your projected cost per sale? And make sure you're spending at least five to ten, five to eight times that so that you can leave the learning phase as fast as fucking possible so that you can actually leverage machine learning to take advantage to, to, to so that Facebook becomes an educated veteran salesman on your behalf or sales lady on your behalf. I don't think it has a gender really, but Facebook, let's call it a lady, right? It's the ship. Every, all ships are named after women. Facebook's a lady. Let's call it that. Um, cool. Uh, okay. Um, so let's see up into novel. I've been running with influencer collabs for my course and I'm looking to transition to Facebook ads from it. Um, yeah, Facebook blueprint, understand how that works and then take the creative that you have, start running it in top of funnel, creative testing. All right. Uh, we have questions now from the audience. Oh, jelly, don't go away. You can raise your hand. Eugenie though. Come on up, my man. Uh, Eugene, introduce yourself. Let me know how I can help you. And Shelly, if you have a question, please raise your hand. I uh, will let you come Hi, up Charlie. here in just a minute. Thanks for having me in. Is everything all right? Do you hear me? I hear you, man. I hear you. Awesome. So uh, what I wanted to ask is with the iOS change, wouldn't advertisers be forced to come back to targeting interest or lookalikes rather than broad? No. Can, can you share some more details around this? Yeah, yeah, and, and I've heard the this. Second question, and yeah. the second question, sorry for interrupting, is uh, how would you retrain an ad account? Say you you get you're getting for the last month not so nice results, and you need to re reset it or something like that to sure. try results. Got it. Okay, first question. This is something I'm seeing from a lot of people, especially online, especially people that call me like a troll for trying to be helpful. Uh, which by the way, there's this like wonderful troll in a Twitter account that was like making fun of me. I, I fucking loved it. Uh, so your first, your first question, won't this thing from iOS 14 limit our ability to use broad audiences and force us to go to interest groups and everything else? No, it'll actually make interest groups and lookalikes even worse. Let me put it to you this way. 
if you are being restricted from the amount of data that you can see, the solution there is not to then focus on things that are more reliant on data that will have less access to it. An interest group and a lookalike are built off of understanding consumer behavior and predicting predictive uh, bidding, right? Trying to understand what people are going to do, which means they're fundamentally more reliant on data than broad because broad is allowed to see somebody across the entire ecosystem. Every ad is basically able to see anybody that wants to. Once you restrict that, Facebook then tries to prioritize which ad might work for the available impressions. As you take your budget, what that would look like is saying instead of one broad audience, maybe you have five or six interest groups and lookalikes, which means you now have five or six things that are dumber than the broad because it's, it's Facebook is a machine learning platform, right? You're teaching it. It's getting smarter. If you prioritize keeping Facebook dumb to pay more money to restrict your ads from seeing good people, what I can project for you is stress and heartache. So my point there is I understand where the thinking comes in, basically saying, well, if we can be less reliant on data, let's go back to these other things that we want to target. My pushback is those other things that you want to target will also be impacted by that data, but it will be uh, the, the impact will be greater on the smaller and smaller the audience, the more and more impacted you're going to be by this, uh, by this, what, what we're going to be seeing. So um, I would highly suggest that the best practices here is the same thing that we saw with iOS 12, iOS 13, CCPA, GDPR. Every effort the internet has taken to remove the amount of data that somebody can see has been strategized and mitigated against by going more and more broad getting simpler and simpler and simpler and placing a priority more on understanding your customer than trying to outsmart the platform. Your second question was, how do you retrain uh, a, an ad account? What do you have to do? My, my pic, like I hear this all the time, like my pixels destroyed. This is actually what I'm talking about inside the Slack group today. My pixels destroyed, everything's going to shit. How do I fix it? Number one way to fix it, creative test of broad. As it starts to beat any audience, steal money from one place that sucks and throw it into the other place that does better. The, the number one way of starting to turn your ad account around is by starting to implement ways that are going to produce long-term success, stability, and scale. You can do that today. 100% right now, you can turn your ad account around by simply making one creative testing campaign, targeting broad, and focusing every week at that campaign, getting more and more efficient. It's not about, can I get it to this specific number? It's, it's every week get better and better and better. And the only objective you have across everything is two pieces. Number one, get that creative test to be more and more efficient every week. Number two, manage your budget so you're spending the most amount of money wherever you're getting the best return. If you do that, after a month or two, you're probably only gonna have one or two campaigns and those campaigns are probably going to be the ones build it, built off of creative testing abroad. It might ultimately be just your broad creative testing campaign. I'm working with a brand right now that may or may not have been on Shark Tank, that may or may not be something that everybody's interested in, and whatever, I'm not gonna go into it, but they're spending 30 to $50,000 a day. And 75% of that spend is going to broad creative testing campaign with like two, three ad sets. 
all targeting different customers. And it fundamentally beat everything else in their business because it's fundamentally leading in to what Facebook does the best. So anyway, Eugene, I, I hope that's helpful. Does, does that answer your question, my man? Yeah, sure. And one more thing, I just from what you said, when you say building the creative testing abroad, we exclude the past audiences like engagers, uh, site visitors. I wouldn't know. Exclude everybody you don't want it to see. So if somebody bought today, don't show them an ad. They're probably not going to buy again. Understand the only audience I would exclude is people who are not good for your business in a sustainable, simple fashion. So what if you have a product that people buy over and over again, or they buy more than once, understand what that life cycle is for them to buy one time to them to make a second purchase and exclude them up until basically that point. Um, other than that, let it see the entire fucking funnel. I mean, honestly, the idea of having a retargeting audience is built off of something that worked inside of Google and has no place inside of Facebook, but most people can't try to take that switch over overnight. So don't try to force your ad account to learn like that overnight. What you want to do ultimately is say, what does my ideal campaign architecture look like? And then invest every resource into making that architecture work. And as soon as it does, because it's just a matter of time, then you won't have, then you can start to funnel all of your resources to leveraging that win. If you start to look at Facebook as how do I make this tool work best for me? then it becomes far more about your happiness and your lack of stress and your success than trying to outsmart an algorithm designed by thousands of people smarter than all of us that looks at trillions of data points in real time, 24 hours a day. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Why I asked about the exclusions is because when I'm not excluding because of the estimated action rate, I notice that Facebook tends to deliver the impressions to the same in the audience. So you reach, I don't know, 10,000 people and you just get a frequency of three, four, if you're not excluding. Well, I don't know why, but it tends to go in circles. Yeah, so that probably happens because that's what the ads are appealing to. Also, the only frequency metric that actually matters is daily frequency. So when you go to breakdown and you hit go to breakdown and then time and then day. That's the only frequency number that matters. Um, when the frequency is stacked up over a week, over a month, whatever else, that is a completely irrelevant metric. Um, I understand why people focus on it because it makes sense, but understand that Facebook is doing your entire funnel for you. So if you reach the person three times or five times, who gives a shit if your CPA is better, then that's what needs to happen. So. Ultimately, what we need to do is prioritize success, not what we think things should look like. Um, that would be my one pushback. But but I hope that helps. Hey, I got a couple other questions. Um, feel free to DM me if there's anything else I can do for you. Yeah, have a nice day. Thank you so much, man. All right, uh, next question. Come on to the stage and introduce yourself and let me know how I can help. Yeah, hey, Charlie. Um, yeah, thanks for bringing me up, um, interesting conversations. And yeah, I'm Sally and I mainly specialize in search engines, so that includes Google Ads. And yeah, I, it's interesting your approach of broad targeting because typically, especially for Google Ads, I when I work with people I that are on limited budgets, um, I try to focus on like, let's eliminate who is 100% not your target 
And let's say that's like specific age groups, like 18 to 24, or if they're like above 65 is another common one. So I would have, um, have us exclude that or like specific, specific locations. Um, and so my question would be like for Facebook, if you know 99% that they're not your audience, whether it's like a gender or a location or age, wouldn't you want to exclude them? Uh, yes. Yeah. So when I talk about broad audiences, I talk about what is the cheapest way of accessing the most amount of inventory. And the only three metrics that you can actually uh, restrict an audience without paying a premium, and this is from the engineering department, is age, gender, and location. So if it's everybody over the age of 35, try it out. If it's only women, try it out. Don't go worldwide if it's all U.S. Once you stack anything on top of that, you start to pay a premium. So if you know those demographic bits of information, you can start there. What I would say, though, is use that as your constant once you make that work and try removing some of those restrictions because as you remove those restrictions, you might open yourself up to more opportunity. And as you get more and more inventory opened to you, you'll be less your, the inventory fluctuations of the cost of the CPMs will be less reactionary to market forces because as your CPMs rise in one target audience, because uh, of whatever reason, you can shift your impressions to someplace else. Um, and that would be the only thing I would say. Uh, uh, Facebook will still optimize towards the people that are going to respond best. But age, gender, location, totally on board. My number one test after I made that work and see what happens if I don't. Does that work better or not? It might not work better, in which case, hey, you can check that thing off. If it does work better or provides more stability, then lean into it. But um, yeah, I love your thinking here because the way that Google works and the way that Facebook works, two completely different tools. One's a screwdriver, one's a hammer. Yeah, definitely. And that's my approach too, and especially like, yeah, unless you have a limited budget, yeah, then cut out some of the ones that you absolutely know, which is yeah, the age gender area. And um, yeah, and then as you're looking to scale, if you've like wasted your options, then yeah, test the ones that you've excluded. So I'm on board with that. And then um, yeah, my second one would be, I usually also like to exclude like in article and apps and sites as the placements. So instead of the automated placements, just cut these out because I've never seen them work. Um, so yeah, just curious on your thoughts on those placements. I love those placements. Here's my pushback to you. Have you quantitatively proven that showing impressions there is negative to your overall efficiency on the platform? They might not be the place where you get the sale, but nobody ever, you know, very few people make a purchase decision because of an ad in the newspaper. Very few people pull over and run into a store because of a billboard they saw on the side of the street. These are additional impressions that are extremely low cost that improve the amount of frequency of messaging. So my point there is, while it might not be the place that you can point to as where I get my success, I would suggest not excluding them because they might be the place that provides efficiency at the places that you see success. Like somebody might buy on your Instagram ad because they saw you on the audience network, because they saw you inside of a video thing. Every touch point is theoretically, for what it's worth, every touch point is effectively a good thing. So the more touch points you exclude, 
the harder it is for the places that you rely on to do the sale to be stable and efficient because you're asking it to do more work. Um, and, and that'd be my only touch point. My, my only pushback here is I'm all for it. If you can quantitatively prove that it's bad for you. I've spent an ungodly amount of money trying to prove that because I think all of 2017, I was really fighting against broad in every way possible because it was fundamentally so challenging to what I, what I believed in all the hard work. Like I was like, I know I can sit down and by force of will, I'm going to make five grand today. I'm going to increase my, you know, I'm going to get my Shopify to jump 20 K because of my hard work today. Um, I struggled for months and have continued over the last few years to try to beat it. And I've never been able to quantitatively prove that removing low cost impressions was positive for my business. So that that's my only thing. I wouldn't look at successes. Where do all my wins come from? I would look at successes. What is giving me the lowest cost result and how do I improve that efficiency by giving Facebook more options? And then when my efficiency is desirable, and my only liability is not spending enough. Let me inc let me spend into that efficiency because, for what it's worth, uh, efficiency gains and losses are not linear. If you gain an efficiency of ten percent, if you lower your cost per purchase by ten percent, you can increase your budget by ten percent, and you won't go back to the same level of efficiency. So maybe it costs you ten bucks to make a sale, you get it down to nine. If you push your budget up by ten percent, maybe you go to nine and a half. So spend is an output of efficiency. And uh, as you increase your spend, you're going to leverage these other opportunities and restricting Facebook from understanding how to use them will inhibit your ability to truly scale your budget as your efficiency scale of results mandates is good for your business. I hope that makes sense. That was a really long winded uh, sentence. Yeah, no, that's great. It's always yeah, great to hear. Um yeah somebody else's thoughts on this um so great to hear yours and yeah it makes sense super useful so yeah thanks and happy sunday happy sunday to you too thank you all right i got one more question here in the clubhouse and then i see two people ask the question really quickly over on youtube and we'll get to you guys and then i gotta get to the slack room uh because i did start this late so i don't want to hold anybody here short thank you once again and i'm already following you miss rebus so i'll see you around on the internet Hey, Hung, introduce yourself. How can I help? Hi, my name is Hung. I'm a uh, Facebook advertiser from Germany. And yeah, we've been talking last week and yeah. implementing. Um, my question would be, what is your view on like um, campaigns, uh, video view? Because we do a lot of lead gen where the sales cycle is like one to three months long or longer even for higher priced uh, physical products. And so what we do, we do top of funnel conversion campaigns, as you uh, tell, um, very broad, very broad. And then we actually retarget these leads or uh, yeah, everybody else who got in touch with us um, and do a lot of video view campaigns. So we just retarget them. So yeah, to nurture them like an email would be uh, kind of what's your view view on on view view campaign and that strategy thank you yeah sure um i've done this over the years a few times i'll, I'll be honest uh there's about 20 percent of the time 15 20 of the time where that helps um i think it's atypical but you're also in a funnel 
in a business model that requires you to solve a problem differently. And given your customer journey and the way that the sales team is set up, it feels to me like what you're doing is you're having people qualify themselves to be interested. And then you are prioritizing staying top of mind for them as you are working them through your sales funnel. For me, I feel like that makes sense. I would try to do a holdout test to see if it would work. I don't know if you're able to without whitelisting because I've been whitelisted for years, but I think you could do uh, like a 50% holdout test um, in your audience. It would not be excluding those people. What you would need to do is if it's at all possible for you to cut that engagement audience in half, um, and in Facebook, there's a behavior that you can access. It's like user, user segment A, user segment B, 50%. Again, I don't know if it's available to everybody. I've been whitelisted for, for a long time. Um, but you may or may not be able to access about 30% of ad accounts can see it. Some can't because it's also part of testing. Um, just it's, it's been around for years for like some people, but Facebook doesn't make sense all the time. Like the engineering team is just constantly doing tests without really telling everybody else it's not it's not an even playing field for everyone but what i would do is if you can possibly segment that audience maybe you take it from your leads and you manually upload like half of them the idea would be if you can see quantitatively prove that this additional spend that you invest and in making sure that you're top of mind for those leads does that does that correlate to a higher conversion rate downstream. Basically, can you quantitatively prove that it's good for business to invest in a long-term relationship? And the way that that would work is you'd have to be able to say, yes, I'm willing to spend X amount of money a day or a month or a year or whatever to keep this person in line. What is my additional cost per user? Because you have to bake in that operating cost. Does that help bottom line? Yeah. And the honest truth is it might not. You might have a higher conversion rate targeting with video views. But if that doesn't turn out to a higher return on ad spend because you have to bake in that cost, it's actually bad for you. And, and I don't know the answer to that question. I've done it both ways. I love the problem solving because it feels like you put a lot of thought and time into it. I, I would just really focus on trying to prove one way or the other. And then whatever the numbers say, go for it. And don't listen to anybody that tells you different. Yeah, thanks a lot. That helps. And just one more little question. What's your general view of these um, other campaign objectives? Because if you're talking about e-commerce, you're focusing on, on conversion campaigns. But what about all the other uh, campaign objectives and how do they fit in to a business strategy? Kind of? Yeah, um, There's a lot of different reasons for running a lot of different campaigns. I think e-com folks look at the Facebook ecosystem as an e-com platform. Um, but there are a lot of other objectives. I mean, I was spending seven figures a, a week, sometimes a day, for brands that used other objectives just to test market. They would do market research. 
Um, there's also ways of creating awareness, right? There's create ways of building a brand's identity. There's ways of getting people. There's a lot of different business objectives that can be accomplished. Like I was doing stuff with the Girl Scouts and all they wanted was engagement campaigns on certain things to raise money for charitable ventures. Uh, and that was a fundamentally different business model and a fundamentally different objective than a conversion campaign. Um, so I would say that there's value in all of them, but most people won't find value in more than one or two objectives. Um, but Facebook does provide the opportunity for you to utilize the resources that are most value to you, depending on whatever your business needs are. So that that's my viewpoint uh, as somebody that's run a shit ton of different stuff. I mean, I, I, I'll get into it this week. I, I can't get into it right now, but watch my YouTube channel. Uh, I'll probably release it starting next Monday but I'm going to start doing stories and, and of, my, of my history. And I'll get into how I did the alpha for the lead gen ad unit to disrupt the auto sales industry and running the 2015 Nissan Sentra on a lead gen ad unit to run test drives, basically fundamentally changed uh, the car dealership industry and uh, added the lead gen ad unit as an opportunity for anybody on Facebook. I'll tell that whole story then as I can't get into it right now, but that's a little teaser for the YouTube channel. Anyway, I hope that helps. I got one more question here and then I got to hop into the Slack group because uh, those people pay money and I, uh, you know, uh, we have a standing engagement and I want to respect everybody's time and investment. So thank you, Hung. I hope that that sure. helps. All right, my man. All right, so we got two more questions here over on the YouTube. I'm gonna try to burn through them. Sorry, folks, if I don't get you uh, as much as you'd like, but you can always DM me for some more stuff. Actually, there's three questions here. So first one comes from Street Sense. How many headlines versus creative versus primary with the $320 CBO daily budget, which is an 8X average card value? I don't care about the 8X card value. I don't care about the daily budget. I don't care about anything other than the fact of maximize your dynamic creative input, as many opportunities as possible, remove the bad options after it gets out of learning phase, that's your path forward. Kaylin says, have you ever split tested landing pages and does editing your landing page reset the optimization? 100% resetting your landing page does change the optimization. You shouldn't be able to reset your landing page because you're using post IDs and the way you test landing pages is by using something like Google Optimizely or BWO, do it after the click. Facebook is not responsible what happens after somebody clicks on your web page. that's your web page's job. Last question comes from Thomas. Hi, Charlie, I have a question. I think you can help with me. If I'm not able to leave the learning phase with the purchase objective, is it a good idea to optimize to a lower KPI like add the cart if I'm not able to increase the budget? Thomas, if you're only spending in one place, you do not have the budget to leave the learning phase based on a purchase objective, I think you're in a place where optimizing towards the add to cart is probably going to be your best option. However, I would fundamentally challenge whether or not Facebook is the right platform for you at this time. I might heavily look into search platforms. I might heavily look into organic marketing. I might heavily look into influencer spaces. Try to increase your traffic so that you can make it work. And if that doesn't work for you, maybe Facebook shouldn't be where you prospect. Maybe you run it on only retargeting people that have been to your site in the last like 30 days or six months or whatever so that you can get more volume. That would be my suggestion to you. Lower your cost for acquisition by changing your business strategy. That's what I might do to help you out, Tomas. I hope that that helps. Feel free to DM me with other questions, and I love the possibilities of all this stuff. And if you're ever inside of my YouTubes or inside of the Facebook or inside of Instagram or anything else, if you comment below and you let me know what it is that you want to see, that really helps me understand what type of content that you're really interested in so that I can build courses, write ebooks, and answer your questions inside of live feeds and this weekly uh 
D2C and e-commerce masterclass on how to begin to win at Facebook. One more time. Hey, my name is Charlie. Check out my site, facebookdisruptor.com. And if you need any other questions, please feel free to reach out. But with that, I got to say goodbye because I got to go because there are people waiting on me someplace else. And I'm already a couple minutes late. Love you guys. I'll see you later. And bye. Bye.